putting it mildly, you have the most sophisticated, well-informed and influential and well-financed investors on the planet rushing to accumulate gold and sell dollars. Hello, this is Maurice Jackson. Before we present today's interview, I'd like to remind our listening audience that I'm a licensed broker to sell precious metals through Miles Franklin, where we have unlimited options to expand your precious metals portfolio. Stay tuned to the end of our interview for contact details, and I look forward to the opportunity to speak with you. Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is Andy Sheckman, the president of Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. Mr. Sheckman, how are you today, sir? I'm great, Maurice. How are you? For audience members, today we will address Basel III, the state of U.S. markets, and the Fed's new bailout program, and how you may benefit financially. Andy, you're a big thinker, and I would say years ahead of most people in the space, in your ability to critically and analytically think and cipher through the noise, which is why we're delighted to have you on the program today. I want to begin our discussion at the 30,000 foot level and have you share with us the implications of Basel III. Andy, what is Basel III and why should precious metals investors be aware of this decision-making body? Well, first of all, Maurice, you're too kind to say that. I appreciate that very much. Um, uh, as far as Basel III is concerned, I, I think it's the most game-changing watershed event of my career. And, uh, and I don't say that lightly whatsoever. Uh, let me explain. So prior to April 1st of this year, 2019, gold was considered a Tier 3 asset. Uh, what that would mean would be that a, a country that would own it on their balance sheet would only be able to declare 50% of its value on the balance sheet, thereby denigrating the ability to transact international business and probably more importantly, sell bonds. Um, uh, Basel is the canton or state in Switzerland and where the Bank of International Settlements is located. Every single year, the Bank of International Settlements, otherwise known as the Central Bank or Central Bank, have a meeting and they invite all of the central bank representatives to Basel to discuss what's happening and what's going to happen going forward. I believe, Maurice, in 2017, as the central banks take care of themselves, uh, I believe they decided that in 2019, gold would be reclassified as a Tier 1 asset from a Tier 3 asset. Um, you see, a Tier 3 asset would provide virtually no incentive to own it if you're a country like um, any of the countries in Europe, the pigs, Portugal, Ireland, Greece, Spain, with less than pristine balance sheet for four reasons. Number one, costs money to store. Number two, since 2011, it, gold and silver have moved sideways and down. Number three, uh, there's no interest paid. And more. number four, most importantly, was the denigration of the balance sheet and how it would inhibit the ability to transact international business and write loans. And so I believe that in 2017, when they met, they said things are going to change and we're going to reclassify gold as a tier one asset in 2019. I say that to you because in 2018, 
the central banks bought more gold than at any time in the previous 55 years. In 2019, so far, the numbers reflect an 80% increase of central bank acquisition over 2018. Putting it mildly, you have the most sophisticated, well-informed, and influential, and well-financed investors on the planet rushing to accumulate gold and sell dollars. The only other tier one asset prior to this year were U.S. treasuries and dollars. And so what you would have would be an incentive by the world's central banks, evidenced by their selling of gold for many years, to shed gold and to accumulate dollars and treasuries. That tier one asset status would make it easier to transact business and do loans, would uh, not incur a storage cost, paid a rate of return in terms of interest, and um, you know, the, the groundswell to sell gold was substantial for many, many years by the world's central banks. And it was a, a tide that, that people were buying gold, were fighting, fighting the central banks for many years. And now all of a sudden, they have an incentive, if you will, to de-dollarize. You don't have to look any further than a country like Russia, who is shedding all of their U.S. treasuries and bought more gold than any country on the planet last year. But even take it a step further. And look at the things that are happening on the on the periphery. You have the Chinese with the Chinese petrol yuan bond. They're buying oil from Gulf states and natural gas from Russia, paying in a bond denominated in yuan that is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. That's why the Shanghai Gold Exchange delivered almost 80 times more gold than the COMEX did the last two years. So you have countries that are setting up unilateral trade deals that are usurping the petrodollar, that are reclassifying gold as a tier one asset to challenge the dollar, or excuse me, the, um, uh, the, the treasury as the only tier one status. You have the BRICS nations setting up a system very similar to that of the SWIFT system with many of the European countries now, much to the dismay of the West, signing on to that system. Basically, what you have, I believe, Maurice, is the beginnings of the end for the U.S. dollar in terms of its singular world reserve status. You have J.P. Morgan Private Bank. They are the division of J.P. Morgan. They're their division that works with the wealthiest of the wealth in the world, the centimillionaires and the billionaires, who created quite a stir not too long ago by sending out a letter to their, all of their clients saying... We want you to divest of dollars into foreign currencies and precious metals as we believe the dollar will be challenged for single singular world reserve status in the near future. All the pieces are being put in place. And the final piece of the puzzle, Maurice, is the tier one asset change of gold from a, uh, from a tier three status by the Bank of International Settlements here. And that went into effect April 1st. So as far as I'm concerned, you'll never see $1,000 gold ever again. And the floor is in on it. And uh, all of the movements that we're seeing right now um, is posturing, allowing the big money to reposition. They don't want to let it go up too fast to gain too much attention to be crowded out of their own trade. So the manipulation is real. The question is, why is it being manipulated? And it's being manipulated for things like Basel III, so the most sophisticated players on the planet can reposition. And I find it 
I find it disturbing, alarming, and grotesque that the entities that we call news services don't tell us about things like Basel III, things that we should be knowing. And there are others that we'll talk about later on in this interview, but Basel III being at the top of the list. Maurice, I think the reclassification of gold from a Tier three asset to, to, to a Tier one asset is the most significant event of my career. Bottom line is, is you have a incentive and a vehicle to de-dollarize for the first time ever. And that is what's happening. And I think the central banks realize that the U.S. is at the end of its rope, a country that's, you know, $120 trillion in debt and the mismanagement of the world reserve currency has aggravated much of the world. And I think it's time, they feel, for an alternative. And I think that's where we're heading. Andy, I think you've opened up a lot of eyes here, moving from a Tier 3 to a Tier 1 status. Now, based on this action here, uh, what prudent actions are your clients taking right now regarding this? Not enough, to be honest with you. Not enough. Um, The, you know, gold's up, I don't know, 15, 18% this year. That's all as a result of central bank acquisition. Mm -hmm. Our business, Maurice, is actually quite good. In terms of overall volume, you know, we'll do north of 200 million plus in sales. We're doing just fine. We're actually having one of our bigger years. Uh, but the thing of it is, is that in 2011, when gold was approaching 2,000 and silver 50 dollars, we were getting 200 orders a day, and now in 2019, with you know, gold doing very well, outperforming the, the stock market uh, in, in terms of total return. We're getting 10% of that volume, but the order size uh, will do more volume in terms of total sales this year in 2019, close to 300 million than we did in 2011 when gold was at its peak. So the bottom line is it's it's here again emblematic of more institutional accredited investors making larger purchases. But the the average Joe on the street is not they don't believe it to be true yet. And they still believe, as do most people in this country, that the road to retirement is only paved firmly with mutual funds and stock certificates. And so, you know, I it, it part of me understands that. And it's hard to to get behind a market that has been manipulated for so many years, where you take uh, you know one step forward and two steps back for so long, it becomes difficult. Um, but nonetheless, you know when you see a sea change like this, where you're no longer fighting, uh, you know the largest investors on the planet, the central banks. In fact, they're now joining the same side of the ledger. I guess all you just need to have are some strong fingertips to hang on and trust your conviction and your belief structure. Uh, and I think you'll be rewarded. You see, Rick Rule often says something to the extent of uh, the world um, deals in rhetoric and he deals in arithmetic. And rhetoric is just that, <laughs> rhetoric. And arithmetic always, in the end, finds a way to express itself. And I think this is a good example. The rhetoric that we see is of normalcy. Everything's okay, look the other way. 
Um, but in the background, it's anything but that. We'll talk a little bit about that, what's going on here. But the central bank repositioning is a good example of that. And the fact that no one talks about it in the media is, is exemplary, I think, of, um, uh, of, of this phenomenon where you have to almost trust your gut and have strong fingertips and hang on. Because I think we haven't seen anything yet. And the r arithmetic will bear that out. But uh, the rhetoric will make it tough to trust your gut. Um, sometimes you just have to hope, hope, hope your, your, your intuition is correct and hang on tight. Because it's going to be bumpy. This is a high-stakes game, that's for sure. You were alluding to the media and the psychological effects that they can have on investors. I noticed recently on a mainstream media site uh, regarding investing, they were talking about the exactly what you were referring to, the strong hands or hoarding, the word was hoarding, gold. And I always chuckle when I see that because when they purchase those 401ks and those mutual funds, they're not hoarding, are they? To them, it's, no. a, it's funny. They, they take away the word hoarding. <laughs> yeah. And, it's a play on words. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and those subtle play on words, Maurice, are very significant. And, um, you know, they, that, that denotes a, uh, you know, the, the prepper and the doomer and gloomer. And uh, it, it, it has a negative connotation. And, and most of the mainstream um, uh, analysis of gold will typically come with some sort of a backhanded compliment, even in a even in a uh, positive spin. And that's a good example. Now, let's bring this conversation down to the 10,000 foot level and discuss U.S. markets and the Fed. Beginning with U.S. markets, what has your attention and why? Yeah, I, I, I find it to be this may be maybe more alarming than anything we'll talk about um maybe maybe the most alarming thing i've ever heard actually as it pertains to the u.s market so every single year the uh, u.s treasury publishes a report on the status of the dollar in the markets um this year they published one and they said some things that i find to be very very alarming and here again I want you to think about what we just talked about with the media. And I want you to think about what we talk about. I want you to think when we're talking about this, about the Democratic candidates who have been um, debating and talking about their platforms. And I want you to think about these two things deeply as I discuss what the United States has put in print and admitted in February. Okay, So the Treasury publishes a report. And they say, we have $22 trillion in debt. We all know that, and that's growing uh, exponentially by the day. And they say, we have a shortfall in Social Security of $53 trillion, and in 2034, it'll be all but insolvent. So let's just stop for a moment. Just between the national debt and Social Security, my math says that's $75 trillion in the hole. Now, I want you to think also not only about the media's lack of attention, the candidates' lack of interest. I also want you to think about the central banks taking care of themselves and repositioning before the crowd. Mm -hmm. And I want you to think about the fact that every media station, television, radio, magazine, newspaper, everything in the United States is owned by four companies. And the information that they disseminate is purposeful. But think about the central banks repositioning ahead of the crowd as we talk about this. 
So the U.S. government says, okay, just between those two things, we're $75 trillion in the hole. Now, Maurice, a trillion seconds ago was 31,680 years ago. So when we talk about how big these problems are, the fact that it's not front page center news, $75 trillion in the hole just between national debt and Social Security, Social Security to be insolvent in 2034, headline. The fact that the Democratic candidates talk more about uh, uh, going after the or, rich or, or, uh. or, 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 yeah, <laughs> or, or global warming or Trump than about things that will completely destabilize the United States and, uh, and, and, and destroy the lives of our children and grandchildren uh, is beyond me. But it gets worse. So uh, they said, and when we take into account things like Medicare and Medicaid and government and military pensions, our unfunded liabilities exceed $100 trillion. This is the government's own admission. Mm-hmm. The government says we're $100 trillion plus in the hole, but they say, wait, we have assets. Oh, that's great. They say we have $3.8 trillion in assets against north of $100 trillion in liabilities. <laughs> Do you know what the largest singular asset is in the United States, Maurice, according to the U.S. government? Now, not knowing that report, I'm going to say it's either bonds or gold. Uh, neither, actually. Oh. And this is where it gets, to me, incredibly alarming. Number three is land. $500 billion plus, things like uh, national parks and bridges. Number two, military. North of a trillion dollars helicopters, military bases, aircraft carriers, bullets, and the like. The number one largest singular asset of the United States, the land of the free, the world reserve currency, home of the brave, you know, center of all markets, is student debt of $1.8 trillion. Five years ago or so, they passed a law that if you have student debt and you die, your children inherit it. If you have student debt and you file bankruptcy, they'll attach your social security payments. You cannot get out of it. It is considered a receivable by the US government. And so the largest asset of this country is student debt. And you have half of the Democratic Party trying to lobby to absolve it. So the bottom line is when we talk about Basel III and we see the, the most sophisticated countries on the planet or banks or investors on the planet they know what's going on and they see that okay so this country that we have given the privilege of being world reserve has north of a hundred trillion in liabilities against a backdrop of virtually nothing in assets they don't make anything anymore except debt and it's time for a change so we need to reclassify gold as a tier one asset so we all have a life raft before the uss dollar sinks and i think the fact that this is not front and center news is absolutely deplorable. And so, you know, what has my eye, that has my eye. The fact that we're broke and we continue to print money and it's growing at an unabated fashion, in an unabated fashion. And uh, the rest of the world is looking for alternatives, Maurice. And the worst thing that we can do is ask ourselves how much gold and silver we should own. The better question is, how much of your life do you want tied up in a currency that is north of $100 trillion in the hole, that has nothing in, in the way of assets, 
And when the rest of the world is quietly setting the stage, both in the way oil is traded, the way uh, transactions are, are routed, like the SWIFT system, and now in the reclassification as a tier one asset, the rest of the world is looking for alternatives to the dollar because of these things. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is how much of our wealth do we want tied up in a currency that appears to be in this much trouble and then work backwards from there? Andy, we're not here to provide financial advice, but you have relationships with some of the world's financial elite. Can you share with us how much of an allocation towards gold and silver they feel comfortable with? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I spent um, three summers in Zurich in in the '90s, learning our business. As we our business uh, when we started, it was heavily um, wrapped up in Swiss investments. And I haven't met a Swiss banker in my career that wouldn't tell you in the very best of times, ten percent of your assets should be in in gold. But let me explain something to you, and maybe your uh, your listeners can think for themselves and, and look at this a little bit differently. Uh, most of your listeners and yourself too will probably know who Morningstar is. You know who Morningstar is, Maurice? Morning, yes, sir. The Morningstar Report. Grading yes, service. That's, yes. that's right. So Morningstar has a company that they purchased out of Chicago called Ibbotson. And Ibbotson is a, a, a service very similar to Morningstar when they were before they were purchased by Morningstar. Now Morningstar owns them. But they're a research service. And basically they were tasked with finding alternatives to the stock market. Now, before you were born, Maurice, it used to be stocks were risk on and bonds were risk off. And they would say that because bonds would pay a a fair rate of return, four, five, six, seven percent. So when you're working, you take your money risk on and uh, and put it into the risk on category, stocks, earn a return. If it if it's volatile, it's okay because you're young and working. And as you get older, you take a portion of that risk on money, and as we get older, move it into the risk off category, into bonds, paying a fair rate of return. And then you retire safely, comfortably, at 7% interest on a couple million dollars over time, you, you know, you're making nice money. You're making $150,000 a year in insurance, and you're fine, right? I mean, in, in interest, you're mm -hmm. fine. So now, with interest rates at the lowest level in human civilization, and really when we talk about manipulation, it's been interest rate manipulation more than anything that has skewed all the markets because the interest rate manipulation has created this illusion of prosperity in our 401ks and and in our um, home values um, but anyways so what Ibbotson basically said was because of the interest rate manipulation because interest rates are so low the inverse correlation between stocks and bonds is gone and that they are now positively correlated because if interest rates rise if we wake up one morning, heaven forbid, to see OPEC say, you know what, we've struck a deal with Russia and China. They're going to protect us as well. We're going to offer up oil in yuan, in ruble, and euro. Overnight, Maurice, the dollar would implode. People would be dumping dollars so fast. All of these countries that are forced to buy oil in dollars, mm -hmm. 
uh, would be dumped and that don't want like the U.S. would dump dollars so fast it'd make your head spin, and interest rates would would uh, would shoot up quickly um, as inflation was was bearing down on the U.S. If interest rates rise, it is the perfect storm to kill all of the financial markets in the United States because stock market is overvalued by every single metric you can think of. Every single metric. It is at its all-time high at the lowest interest rates in the history of human civilization. And the bond market, which went from 7% in the 90s down to, you know, down or the 80s, late 80s, 90s, down to... Um, or even in the 90s, down to where we are now at 2%. Um, you know, that that's that's an enormous bull run, one of the biggest ever. For 25 years, this has been running, uh, a bull running unabated. And now, with 17, 18 trillion in negative yielding interest rate bonds across the globe and the U.S. paying 2% on a 10-year, when money creation and inflation is running north of 4%, we're basically negative too. But if interest rates rise, it, it absolutely kills the, the stock market because who would buy stocks at their highest level ever by every metric when you can buy treasuries paying a, a fair rate of return without risk? It kills the bond market, the mother of all bubbles, as you know, if you're loaded, if, you, if you're a corporation with a billion dollars, where do you put your money? You go into government treasuries because nowhere else will protect it. And, and even if you're a, a huge corporation in Europe with billions of dollars, where do you put your money? You go into treasure or into those government treasuries paying 99.5%. So you're happy to lose a half percent and, and be guaranteed the majority of your money. And so all of this big money and all this money creation and easy money that we've seen over the years and the money that's being pumped into the system by the Fed has gone into financial assets like bonds and stocks creating these inequities. Bottom line is, I, Ibbotson came out and said, the only asset class on the planet that is inversely correlated to the U.S. stock market are precious metals. But now you have the most mainstream reporting service on the planet saying, if you want protection from a falling stock market, you have to own precious metals because there is nothing else inversely correlated. Uh, and so you put it all together, you have stocks and bond protection by buying precious metals, and you have currency protection by buying precious metals. Uh, at least that's what we're hoping for. And so uh, I think the question is not how much should you own, but rather what exposure do you want to the dollar, and then work backwards from there. I think anything under 20, 25% of investable assets is foolhardy, right? You know, I'm so delighted that you're here because you're you're sharing with us so many insights that we don't hear on the financial news networks that we don't receive from financial planners because, the, you know, I, I see a, a correlation. I get a lot of phone calls in reference to the same question, how much allocation should I have in precious metals? And then they always ask me, why is it my financial advisor doesn't ever share that with me? Why doesn't I why don't I ever hear it on these financial news networks? And and I'm like, the, the data is there. It's just the information where you're receiving it from may not be willing to share it with you because they don't benefit from it. And uh, it's truly disheartening because they should be in it for the best interest of everyone. Well, think about it, Maurice. When I started in this industry in, in 1989, there were stockbrokers. And in a brokerage house, there may have been two or three financial advisors, the guys that had been there for 30 years. But everyone else was a broker making 
one percent of your trade you spend a million dollars buying a stock they make 10 grand and so that's the way that it used to work until the internet came along and rendered brokers obsolete now trades are free and so everyone's an advisor which is a series 25 i believe which allows you to it's a test on ethics it's the easiest test i ever passed i used to be a financial advisor it's a joke so you have to be a high school graduate and pass a or a GED and pass a Series 7, which allows you to be a stockbroker. That's a that's a tough test. But to be a financial advisor, it's 100 questions on ethics. It's the easiest question ever, or test ever, <laughs> excuse me. And now, passing that one test, you're quote-unquote an advisor. Uh, and so many financial advisors learn more and more about less and less till they know everything about nothing. And they, and, and they are the ones who perpetuate the fact that there's only one way to retire, and that's mutual funds and stock certificates. And, you know, if, if it, the difference between an advisor and a stockbroker is a broker made money per trade, an advisor makes money by keeping money under management. And mm-hmm. so if you pull money out of management to buy gold from Maurice, that's that much less that they're making a vig off of. So you're taking food off your plate every time you pull money out from management. Therefore, human nature would dictate that most of the advisors, unless they're independently wealthy through a successful career, would find every alternative to recommending what's best for the client. They call that OPM, other people's money. It's a lot easier to make a proclamation about someone else's money than it is about your own because when it's your own, you're emotionally attached. When it's someone else's, you don't have the same vested interests. And so... um, I think you need to use your gut, but the bottom line is is that 25% of investable assets minimum, to me, is a minimum that you would want to do. Uh, and quite frankly, if I told you what I really believed, I'd probably lose credibility. But uh, suffice it to say, I think 25% is a good a good starting point right now because times are not normal, and um, and and the big money is proving that by their movements. Now, for audience members, yes, we're biased. We want you to purchase precious metals uh, by all means. But you notice the difference here is the allocation was 25% max, whereas what we were referring to was 100% allocation towards bonds and mutual funds in your 401k. That's a completely, that's not being balanced at all. And so I just want to make sure we're clear on that. And you were referencing rates here. Uh, The Federal Reserve was much discussed topic on the news yesterday as they announced their decision not to increase rates. But you believe the elephant in the room really is the Fed's participation in overnight repos, which is another form of bailout. What can you share with us? Yeah, well, it's it's insidious. here again, our, our media doing a bang-up job of telling us what's really going on. Uh, and it's just disgusting to me um, that people consider themselves well-informed by reading uh, their local newspaper or the USA Today or, or scouring uh, the mainstream investment sites. And yet anyone you talk to has no idea what Basel III is, um, you know, has no idea that we're uh, this much indebted has no idea that a trillion seconds ago was as long as it was and and no one knows about the open market operations that are going on and the repo programs which I find to be tremendously frightening right now um, the the repo program well, let's let me let me just kind of set the stage in 2008 Federal Reserve went to Congress and asked for 700 billion dollars to bail out the banks all at once when Bear Stearns and, and Lehman went belly up 
Um, since September, uh, the Federal Reserve, well, typically the banks would borrow from one another overnight um, for whatever reason. They would they would borrow each other money, and they would do so called through what's called a repo agreement. Um, so I'm a bank and you're a bank, Maurice, and um, I happen to have IBM on my payroll, and it's you know fifty five. $60 million obligation every two weeks or whatever. And maybe tonight I'm $10 million short. I'm just using this as an example on top of all of my other obligations. So I would then through a third party intermediary pledge a certain amount of U S treasuries, the tier one asset to you. And you would loan me the money overnight for 1% annualized rate. And I would then meet my obligations on payrolls. I would be made whole and I would pay you back and the treasuries then would be returned to my account. Um, simple. Well, in September, the repo rates went up as high as 10%. That's called backing away. What that basically means is, is that the other banks who trade with one another, they don't trust one another. Mm-hmm. They think that they're going to go out of business and not get their money back basically, is what they're thinking. They're thinking that and that perhaps the treasuries have been rehypothecated, pledged many times to other people. So the bottom line is, is that the banks stopped lending with one another and, and interest rates started to spike on the overnight lending. And the Fed had to step in as the lender of last resort. Now, here's where it gets frightening. Last night, I believe the number was $365 billion dollars that the Fed injected into the system last night just to keep the banks alive. Every night going forward, over $365 billion. Big Swear thinks the numbers are going to get as high as seven or $800 billion. But they don't have to declare it on their balance sheets. The Fed don't, don't have to because it's, it, it settles every day overnight. So the bottom line is the banks are so far uh, undercapitalized and overextended that they need $365 billion per evening just to stay afloat. Every single evening since September, this has been going on and increasing. It was $40 billion, $50 billion, $100 billion, $200 billion. Now it's up to three sixty, and growing. And that way they don't have to go to Congress and ask for a bailout. They're doing it every single night. Every single night they're pumping this money into the system just to keep the banks afloat. Does that sound like a place you want to keep your life savings in a system where the Federal Reserve has to quietly not and no one's and no one's talking about the fact that these these loans are oversubscribed, that that the banks, there are more banks trying to borrow money overnight from the Federal Reserve than the Fed is willing to lend. They're not only oversubscribed, they're growing in size on top of their open market operations, which are buying 60 billion a month in U.S. Treasuries monetization that's called to try to buy the back end of the curve to keep interest rates low to to inject liquidity into the system which is only being put into bonds and stocks further creating a bubble and a dislocation the bottom line is is that the federal reserve is pumping hundreds of billions of dollars into the banking system every night through these repo loans that don't have to be declared because of the way they're doing it just to keep things afloat. Um, to me, 
look at all of the things we've talked about, put them all together. You don't think that the most sophisticated, well-informed traders on the globe know this? And you don't think that's why they reclassified gold? You don't think that's why they're repositioning the way that they are? You don't think that's why the European or the, the Eastern Bloc nations have set up a system to usurp the, the petrodollar and to to usurp the SWIFT system? The handwriting is on the wall, Maurice. Um, and so when I see now the banking system uh, with the huge derivative exposure, uh, you know, the contagion would, would spread across the globe. And I think, you know, there are some people who believe that this is the final stage, if you will, of um, of of a knowing attempt to blow up the system that we never intended. We reached a point somewhere where we never intended to pay back the debt. And we'll milk as much infrastructure as we can, cities and bridges and military and things and out of the system and then default because it's getting to a point where it's either inflate or die, die being default. And uh, they've, they've chosen, obviously, the inflation path. But at some point, we may have no choice but just to default as, as the rest of the world has not had alternatives to choose from. And it's changing now. This is the beginning of, I believe, the end of the dollar as a single, singular world reserve currency. And when you see the banks that all of us keep our money in for safety beginning to be on ice the way that they are, thin ice the way they are right now, needing $360 billion a night just to stay afloat, and the way that they're doing it in a nefarious fashion to keep it from being on their balance sheets and everyone to know what's going on. In other words, it's not QE if it, if it has a different name. Um, these are all very ominous dark clouds, Maurice, and, and I, I say this to you with 100% objectivity. Um, I, I don't like what I see on the horizon as it pertains to the dollar and the future my children are going to grow up in. No, I, I know you're being objective, sir, because I wouldn't have you on the program if you weren't. And I think if anyone listening here today, if you just take a, a moment and look at the empirical evidence that's been proposed here that we've discussed, then I want you to take that conversation now and look at the mainstream media, specifically the fin financial news, and see if they're discussing these items. Then also take a look, listen to the uh, political debates and see if they're discussing these items. And then you'll find out why there's a difference between the 99% and the 1%. Mr. Sheckman is conveying to you what the 1% do. If you're not there, uh, maybe you can't uh, do what they do in quantity, but you can definitely do what the 1% do in quality. And uh, before we leave here, Andy, I want to ask you a question. Last week, it was announced that Metals.com was being sued by the state of Massachusetts. Do you have any comments? Um, yeah, I, I think they were sued by the state of Minnesota as well. I'm almost positive. Um, th this is a federally non-regulated industry, Maurice. And there are a lot of companies out there who have done a huge disservice to their client base, selling them overpriced crap, making them promises that would never happen. Um, uh, it's federally non-regulated, and, and it means that there's not an oversight out there uh, to protect the consumer. Um, 
Minnesota is the only state in the United States where we're located that uh, regulates this federally non-regulated industry. We are licensed, we are bonded, we are background checked annually for this exact reason. And that's why almost every single um, precious metals company outside the state of Minnesota has boycotted the state because they don't want to be subservient to the regulations that we have to be, namely licensing every year, bonding every year, background checks every year. Um, this is the, the, the same uh, scenario that we have seen over and over and over again for the last several years, Maurice, where uh, precious metals companies are defrauding the consumer. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact, and I think you wouldn't associate with Miles Franklin if this wasn't true, that in 29, almost 30 years this February, we've never had a customer complaint ever. We have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Um, without ever having a complaint. Um, and when we talk about reasoning to buy from a company who may be a few cents cheaper across the board, these are reasons why you don't. Um, because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that it was Tolving who defrauded almost $50 million from, from the public and then went to jail after that. It was... Uh, um, Northwest Territorial Mint, they defrauded almost $35 million from the public and, and uh, are, are in prison or are still trying, fighting it out in court. And then there was the one in Austin, Texas. Um, I forgot the name of it now, but he stole $35 million. And uh, these were always the, the three most uh, underpriced companies on the Internet. And uh, bottom line is, Maurice, is that I think in life, uh, you pay what you get for, or you get what you pay for, rather. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, there's something to be said for working with a company with a great reputation like ours and and uh, with a gentleman like yourself with a stellar reputation. You get what you pay for, and uh, part of that is accountability. And um, It doesn't surprise me that, that Metals.com was sued, and, and there'll be many more like it, and, uh, and, and that's why we would recommend that you call Miles Franklin, call Maurice, uh, because, you, you know, reputation is really, really important when it matters. And you never realize how important reputation is until you get screwed. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that being penny wise and pound foolish is never a good idea. Andy, please share the website address for someone that's interested in becoming a client of Miles Franklin. I believe it's milesfranklin.com, and in your case, provenimprobable.com. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we also would more than welcome phone calls at 800-822-8080. All of our brokers have, um, um, uh, you know, a long tenure and uh, can speak speak to a, to a wide range of topics from politics to economics to geopolitical events to current events and um you know what we do pride ourselves on maurice is accountability and accessibility uh we're accessible i uh am always accessible by cell phone to my clients seven days a week and it's something i pride myself on in a world that is very homogenous we like to hang our hat on our reputation our accountability and our accessibility 
And as a reminder, I'm a proud licensed representative for Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments, where we provide a number of options to expand your precious metals portfolio from physical delivery, offshore depositories, precious metal IRAs, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Call me directly at 855-505-1900 or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com. Finally, we invite you to subscribe to provenandprobable.com where we provide mining insights and bullion sales. Andy Sheckman, thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Always a pleasure, Maurice. Look forward to seeing you again real soon. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.